0: Welcome to Sober Stories, a podcast dedicated to the power and change that can come from really, really great storytelling. We believe that stories are a massively transformational medium. When we can see ourselves in someone's story, when we share our own story, that's when the magic happens. Here, we tell stories of folks all across the silver spectrum with hope, honesty, inspiration, and probably a few sparkling water jokes. I'm your host, Beth Bowen, and it's a huge honor to be Chief Story Steward around here. With our guests, we pull back the curtain on the good, the bad, and sometimes the downright ugly of what it looks like to ditch the booze, changing the world one podcast episode at a time. Y'all ready? Hey there, friends. Welcome back to what is the last episode of season one of our beloved little project here, Sober Stories. We've had over 30 conversations with all sorts of humans all across the sober spectrum. Folks who call themselves sober curious or alcoholics or Callie sober or nothing at all. It truly has been an honor to share these stories with you this year. And I can't even begin to thank everyone who has played a part in what we have built here. To our team, Callie, Alexis, Daniela, Sherry, To every guest we've ever had, to all of you, thank you for letting me join you and tell these stories. My hope is that we're all a little better off for it. And now, on to today's finale. It feels extra sweet to end this season with a conversation with a dear friend of mine, Jenny Canzineri. One of the cool things about doing the work I do is that I get to see the evolution of someone throughout their sobriety. Witnessing Jenny's has been a joy. For folks who don't know her, Jenny is a wife, mom, and recent Colorado transplant moving to the Denver area just a couple months ago. She's been sober since June of 2022, works in publishing, and has a small hand-lettering business. Jenny speaks really beautifully about the importance of tenderness for oneself, and I love that this is the message we end on in our first season of Sober Stories. After you give today's episode a listen, tag us and Jenny, and let us know what your biggest takeaway was. Here we go. All right, Sober Stories family, I am so excited to bring this conversation to you today because Jenny is a dear friend of mine. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us on Sober Stories. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me, Beth. It's so nice to see you. It's been a little while.
0: I know. It has. We just scheduled a a Zoom coffee date before we hit record because when (laughs) your friends move out of the state, it uh, makes it harder. Not that we ever were good about seeing each other when we were here. (laughs)
1: Fair, fair enough. I did make it harder for us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but maybe you gave me an excuse to go to Colorado. Oh
1: my gosh. I would love that. Yes.
0: All right. So for the folks who are listening who are unfamiliar with you, don't know you and the um, wonderfulness that is Jenny Canzaneri give us the cliff notes, who you are, where you are, what you do.
1: Well, thank you for having me. First of all, it's so nice to be here. Um, So I am Jenny Canzaneri. I live and have lived for two months, two months yesterday um, in Evergreen, Colorado, which is in the foothills west of Denver.
2: Hmm. We moved
1: from Texas. We relocated. Um, I work in the publishing industry and the book publishing industry, and I have worked my full career there for 17 years fully virtual, thankfully, mm. which allowed for this move. Um, I have one son. He's 13 and uh, my husband as well. And as you know, Beth, if, um, <laughs> on Instagram, a terrible dog. I have <laughs> the cutest, oh the, most, the most terrible dog. Um, Murphy is... Murphy May.
0: The funniest dog I've ever seen. She has a human face. Like she, She's
1: so emotive. She's yeah, so she
0: has a human face and it's usually grumpy and it's so <laughs> funny.
1: The only thing I really was worried about in recording this was Murphy. So I like <laughs> sat Mike down and I was like, she has to be locked up. She has to for one hour. I need her not to be running around. So
0: Well, I'm it wouldn't just- be the first animal appearance on this. Dawson's out in the backyard. He'll probably <laughs> bark. And I do have to lock my cat in the bathroom because she'll just meow the whole time. Yeah. So it is, it's totally okay. Well, I know your story, but I would love to hear from you and kind of more of this like in depth version. Tell us your story of Jenny and alcohol, how you got to where you are today.
1: Absolutely. And it's nice to talk about it because it's been a little while since I've sort of fully shared. And so it's kind Mm -hmm. of nice to revisit that story for myself. Um, So, two years ago, June 2020, um, I went and had routine blood work and it came back with some heightened liver enzymes. You know, mm-hmm. my liver, my doctor wasn't concerned. She said, oh, you know, you, you know, maybe just drink a little less, but I knew, um, in my heart that it was showing me something that I was already aware of. Yeah. Um, you know, that I was harming myself by drinking too much. And certainly the pandemic, um, exacerbated it, you know, made it worse, um, made it harder to hide or convince myself of of a narrative that wasn't true. And so I decided, you know, it feels almost um, not true. You know, it feels Mm. a little bit trite to say I decided that moment to stop drinking, but I really was scared, you know, my sort of scared awake of I am doing this to myself you know, it's not something out of my control. It's not something out of my hands. I am the one drinking. And and now mm. I have the proof right in front of me looking at these numbers um, of what that has led to. So I decided to just try 30 days. And that may be kind of what helped set me up for success. I just was like, let's see what things look like after a month. She wanted to rerun my numbers for something unrelated mm-hmm. in 30 days. And so I stopped drinking immediately I, I i share this with friends and family and i feel like sometimes it feels um hard to believe but i don't remember my last drink i don't remember mm. you know i just remember getting that call from my doctor seeing those numbers and feeling like there is no going back mm. so after 30 days my liver looked great mm. all the numbers were normal it w- it just took 30 days to resolve what had been years of, I think, problematic drinking and mm-hmm. drinking too much and drinking consistently and often. And it was empowering. It really felt like, you know, I did this and I can fix this. You know, mm. I can I can heal myself. I can take care of myself. It is in my hands. So much of our health is out of our hands. And this felt like something, you know, I felt really grateful of like, oh, I I caught this early enough before, you know, there was no going back. So that was June 2020, and I did not, you know, it's been over two years to be honest and transparent. And this I mentioned to you, Beth, at the, mm-hmm. at, you know, our little um, top of the call. This is the first time I'm sharing this, but I did have a drink in June 2022. Mm-hmm. We were moving to Colorado. We were under contract on a house that was falling through. I could feel it crumbling. It was mm-hmm. one of the most, if not the most stressful times of my life, which sounds kind of silly, just moving and mm-hmm. house buying, but it was, I I could not calm the anxiety, the anxiety in my body on a daily basis. There were no tools (laughs) to get me, Mm. to get me through. And I just had a drink. And, you know, you said this often to me and it felt very real in that moment. I felt you with me in that moment, to be Mm. honest with you, Um, that it works fast, but it doesn't work for long. And Mm -hmm. that's exactly how I experienced it. It wasn't like regret. It was just Mm -hmm. like, oh, this isn't actually the solution that it was for me for so many years before. Mm -hmm. I immediately started to feel myself get sweaty. I'm sure you Mm. all can remember sort of like the alcohol sweats. um, I remembered um, just not like my stomach immediately started to hurt. It was like this physical immediacy of it. And it was, it sounds also, you know, a little trite too, but it was really easy to just say like, oh, This is Mm. not what I thought it was. This is Mm -hmm. not what I thought it was going to be. And every tool that I had compiled over the two years prior, I think helped me in that moment realize, okay, you tried it. You were in a really low point. You wanted to see if it would work and it didn't. And now you know. And so since then then, I have not had, you know, Mm. I've not drank. So it was that one ice. And I really, I talked to a friend about this and it was a couple of weeks before my two year anniversary and I felt really weird about celebrating mm. or honoring it. And she said, This is just part of your journey. Yeah. This is your journey. And nothing takes away from this Mm-mm. day being really meaningful and worth celebrating. So it was really nice to hear that and nice to have that support. And it also kind of was a light bulb for me that, you know, it's it's just not perfection. It really yeah. is about awareness and progress and how we feel and all of those things combined. So I absolutely still consider myself sober and consider it, you know, to be two full years even with that hiccup. And I think that, you know, sort of segwaying into a bigger conversation of I think that perfection or that striving mm-hmm. to be perfect and have you know every day be marked as a sober day can sometimes just really derail those mm-hmm. um, and leaves them out of the conversation, leaves them you know out of the out of being included at the table mm-hmm. of of sobriety. So it really was a, like a beautiful moment of being gentle with myself and mm-hmm. and not spiraling in shame and not feeling like okay this starts on day now I'm on day one again and. That may be a little unconventional. You know, I think in the traditional recovery space, you don't hear that too often. Mm -hmm. I know you are changing that narrative, which I think (laughs) is so important. But I think we get to kind of define things based off of how we feel and how they honor our own truths. And I don't really care about being misunderstood or Mm. um, being disagreed with. I just care about feeling whole. And Mm. it feels like part of my journey of that continued journey of feeling whole and and moving towards a wholer person.
2: Mm.
0: That part about, I don't really care about being misunderstood. I just care about being whole. Like, pff, like mind blown. That was probably the most disgusting sound ever on recording. No. That was me saying like, my mind was just blown by that. And I'm so grateful for you for sharing this part of your journey, because I know that it's part of so many people's experience and there is so much... Fear and shame and disappointment. And we have these set understandings of what sober is and isn't. And it's right. very black and white. Obviously, here at Sober Stories, we take a more of a harm reductionist approach to that. Mm-hmm. And I think the conversation is shifting. But, like, statistically speaking, if you were to say two years you had one drink of alcohol, that's like a 99.9% success <laughs> rate. I can't it's, do yeah, the math exactly, in my head, yeah. but like, of sobriety, <laughs> that's math. like
1: on paper. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, uh, uh,
0: <laughs> That's what calculators are for, but that's like a, like an almost perfect success rate. Like any sort of scientific experiment or any sort of data collection where you get a 99.9% success rate, you just call that a success. And I think you're right that you get to decide because I do know some people who have that drink and are like, it feels like I got to reset. That feels what's motivating. Right. Like that helps me. But I think the other side of it is if it Creates any sort of shame or disappointment or feeling of failure, that puts us at risk for the buckets. That puts us at risk for saying, "Well, if I have to throw the last two years in the trash anyway, I might as well drink all of the wine in Colorado." Yeah. So when you started, I I love. I wrote down one of the things that you said that you got scared awake when you had that liver enzyme blood work done and. I think it's really powerful to think about listening to that Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of the time, many of us have those kind of scared awake moments, but we're still so in it. We're still so like wrapped up in the physiology of the addiction that it's hard to listen to that. It's hard to know that that's true. So when you had that moment, when you had that blood work right in front of your face, what was that first day like when you're like, I'm not drinking, I'm done?
1: Gosh, that's such a good question. And I, you know, I will say, and I I meant to say this earlier was no one ever confronted me. No one Mm. ever sat me down. And in fact, when I started telling people I no longer drink, most Mm -hmm. people were like, but why? I've never seen you drunk, which was not true, but, um, you're like, I'm really good at hiding it. I I, and you know, there was no, um, I don't know if I would, I I knew that the moment someone did confront me, it would be really hard to keep Mm. lying to myself because I just was working on so many other things in my life. I was working on some body positivity and, and some, you know, other healing and some other work. And I had been in therapy for a long time and I just knew I could not hold this thing for much longer. If anyone even nudged Mm. me, you know, I just knew it was going to be something I had to put down. Um, and I kind of was like, when is this gonna happen? When is it gonna mm. be the moment? And I felt like I did not expect it to be this moment that it yeah, was. Yeah, I was supposed to ask, person. did you expect yeah, the blood work no, no, to be no. the thing? I didn't. You know, I was going to get blood work about something unrelated to something we just talked about. My um, you know, I was having these infections that didn't make much sense and it ended up being a blood condition, but that was what I was seeking. You know, treatment for. And so this was just, and like I said, my doctor didn't even really bring it up. I brought it up to her and said, Are you concerned with these numbers? And she said, No, mm. just, you know, like maybe just go a couple of weeks or whatever. But I was not expecting that to be such a moment of clarity for me of, I think I just like really want to be here. <laughs> like I just yeah. was like, I really want a long and happy and healthy life. Mm. And for a long time, especially when, you know, I was younger, it can be really easy to. Hold both of those things, like oh, Mm -hmm. I am gonna have a long and happy and healthy life, and I can also drink to excess. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, it just felt like everything kind of shattered. um, And I knew I couldn't keep this one thing and have this other. You know, I was approaching forty. I think I was thirty eight at the time. So um, I just knew, like, look, I'm not gonna get, (laughs) I'm not gonna get younger. I'm not gonna get more time. Um, You know, this is all I got. So it felt that first day felt gosh, I wish I could go back. And I also did it alone. That was one mm. thing that I really don't recommend. I had my therapist in yeah. a book and that was it. And I just, I wish, cause it felt, I wouldn't say like white knuckling, but it felt really lonely. Like it just felt like I was going through this huge thing. That's all I wanted to talk about. It's all mm. I was thinking about. And I had no real outpouring for that. So it was just like a, an interesting time, like a really introspective. Mm. I was inside myself a lot, and I, I was reading quite like a woman. I started that right around that same time, and it did feel like a lifeline, just because mm-hmm. it started to help, you know, kind of form some of just the awareness, just some of the yeah. data, you know. And I know we Absolutely. talk about this a lot, and that stuff's actually really helpful for me because I'm like, look, my feelings are not facts, <laughs> but these mm-hmm. facts absolutely helped me. You know, these facts mm-hmm. of um I think one of the things that she quoted in the book that really stayed with me was like once you drink it stays in your system for up to 7 days. So like mm-hmm. if you're drinking like you're never ever going to get a break. I could be right. remembering those metrics wrong, but um something like that where I was just like, "Oh, there's no time for healing because I'm mm-hmm. never giving myself that, you know, that time." Um so yeah, it felt lonely it did um and it felt really scary, but it also felt. I mean, I'm telling you, like I, as you know, those first first month of waking up without hangovers, it just feels like <laughs> you just start sleeping all the time. Yeah. Like I just feel like I just started oh, sleeping, yeah. <laughs> just to sleep a lot. And I started to heal myself through just getting a lot more rest than I had been getting.
0: Yeah, I think people are not prepared for the fatigue and for the yeah. sleep and the uh, basically years of catching up on good sleep because we've just. Wrecked our sleep for so long, and you know, I'm glad you said it was lonely because, Mm -hmm. well, I'm not glad it was lonely for you, but I, I think that that's really relatable. I think that so many of us who don't find a home in traditional recovery spaces, who don't go into a an AA room, and that's our our like light bulb moment, and we feel this immense community right away. Like those of us who don't find a home there and we're doing it ourselves, it can feel really, really deeply lonely. And for me, you talk about quit like a woman. So I found Holly's work years before she ever published that book. And that was also my lifeline. And it was when she had a blog back in the day. And I was reading her words and it was like, oh my God, this person feels the same way about it that I do. Right. And she's doing it this way. And for me, it started giving me language. And it started organizing my understanding of what was happening in my body Mm -hmm. in ways that I had never heard before, in ways that I thought were just me. Like I was certain I was the only person experiencing this. So I really love that we are expanding the conversation. We have so many, Mm -hmm. we have so many quit like books now. We have so many podcasts. and I think that what that gives us in those really lonely days is like a way to organize our experience and be like, oh, it's not just me. Mm-hmm. I'm not the only one. When did you stop doing it alone?
1: Oh, it took me l- longer than I, I did not start telling people until a few months, you know, um, I told Mike, my husband, um, but kind of in a casual way of like, I don't know yeah. if I'm going to be drinking anymore. And he's an incredibly supportive, but he's not a pusher. So I think if he had started to like push and ask questions, I might've, you know, unloaded a little bit more, but Mm -hmm. I was still, you know, being really cautious and careful about what I was sharing. And so that was kind of where we left it. Um, I didn't tell, I told a couple of best friends, it was probably three or four months later. So, you know, it was three or four months and I did tell, you know, like, oh, I'm not right now because of this blood work. And I'm just trying to see if it gets resolved. And some of that was true, you know, but the bigger story, the story of, you know, I had, I was, I was, probably similar to a lot of people. I was still able to function at work. You know, there was never really any mm-hmm. interruption there. I was able to get my son to school every day. I was the PTA president. Um, mm-hmm. as I, you know, I shared on the sober stories blog, yep. I wrote that piece about, um, it's just the PTA president
2: might so be good. hungover.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but I was just, I did it all feeling like crap. You know, I just mm-hmm. felt so tired and gross all of the time. So, you know, it was sharing it. Um, yeah, it was a slower process and I, there wasn't a person that I really talked to who was like, yeah, I kind of thought, you know, mm. something was going on. Most people were surprised. Um, mm. a couple of people were like, oh yeah, I mean, sometimes you are like three or four drinks, but you always seemed fine, which I, mm-hmm. I did. But, um, I also really quickly, as I'm sure a lot of people can relate to, figured out who my people were, right? Who my trusted people were. There is, I think, a little bit of this, like you have to purge it all in order to be like a valid person in recovery or a valid (laughs) super person. Like you have to bear it all and share every indiscretion. And I realized very quickly, (laughs) like, oh, no, no, no. I get to keep a lot to myself. And I I have a small group of people who I feel um, I can really trust. And I was naturally, I have some incredible friends who just aren't big drinkers. And that was always mm. kind of like an internal, not problem, but I was always like, how am I going to go to Vegas with them and, yeah. <laughs> and drink the way I want to? Totally. Um, but they are who I was drawn to. So mm. I went on a girl's vacation to Mexico. This had been about a year after, um, and no one was, was really drinking. And it was just this magical healing time mm. of showing how incredible travel could be without alcohol. Mm-hmm. I think that was really important. Um so I had people around me who were supporting that lifestyle really organically and authentically, which I think was such a gift. Um, but there were some people that I have lost along the mm-hmm. way. This people, um, I definitely got the kind of stereotypical like you won't be fun anymore, or I don't yeah. really feel like doing this thing. I found out there were a couple of dinners I wasn't invited to, you mm-hmm. know, because I think people felt like they would not be able to drink in front of me and and that stung, but it also helps with the clarity really fast of who I can trust and who I can yeah. be vulnerable with and who is sort of an arm's length connection. It doesn't mean mm. I have to burn the relationship down, but trust is something that I think you learn really quickly in sobriety. You trust really incorrectly for a really mm. long time, yourself included. So I, I learned about trust and about what i share and what i don't really fast and i what is remaining what is left is an Mm. incredible group of people who might be smaller um although it's not really because i just added different people from different communities right it looks different than it did but it feels better than it did Mm. like what a gift for someone to say like oh you won't be fine anymore and you're like okay well then you were not the friend i thought you were like sort of a silver lining of, of you know, it's hurts. It's, it's painful, but okay, this is not the connection I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I wish you the best. I wish you well. And it's, it's time for me to, to pour into someone else.
0: Yeah. I really resonate with that. It got smaller for a minute and then it got bigger. Mm-hmm. Like my mm-hmm. network now, my friends, the people I spend time with now that I'm in year five of sobriety, mm-hmm. many of them are sober, which is really cool. But yeah. even the ones that aren't, are the kinds of people that we have mutually decided to be in each other's lives given our state of being. Like they, they met me as a sober person. That was who I was to them. They never knew me before when I was drinking, which is right. a, a gift in itself. But I, I, I know how painful it is when we're in that contraction place mm. where it gets smaller for a moment. But I'm, I'm with you. I want people to hear like it is ultimately a gift to know who yeah. is for you and who is not. We talk in my work a lot about safe containers and unsafe containers. So people, if we think about a container as a relationship, mm-hmm. it could be an individual, it could be a group. There are people in our lives who are safe containers. Those are the ones that you can connect with and still be whole and, and be vulnerable and be seen and they still accept you. They still take you on. They still love you. And then there are unsafe containers who might be part of our lives. Like They might be people that are in our lives that we want to stay connected to. Maybe they are family, maybe they are longtime friends, Mm -hmm. but they are not the people who can hold us in Mm -hmm. our entirety. And getting clarity on that, getting an understanding of who is a safe container and who is an unsafe container, whether or not we want to keep them in our lives is really powerful because that gives you the information to know how you can step into an interaction and what you can kind of expect from people. So for me, it's, yeah. it's, it's a gift to know these things.
1: It feels like a gift now. It it definitely does. You know, it felt really hurtful, um, and hard yes. at first. Yeah. Um, so I think with time comes that just, just sort of that calmness, um, mm. that settling. Yeah. And abs- absolutely. And yeah, you know, I think, boundaries i thought i was really good at boundaries before, before. <laughs> I, mean, I, I knew all the language i've been to therapy for so long um, but boundaries aren't necessarily cutting people off and never yeah. talking to them again and you know um fracturing a relationship boundaries are just like what am i comfortable talking about what language do i need to use in order to shut yeah. down a conversation um i get really i would get really probably not as much now but i would get really anxious and upset when someone would be like, well, tell me exactly how much you would drink. And I was Mm. like, you're not asking that for me. You're asking that for you. You're asking that for some sort of like weird voyeuristic curiosity. Yeah. And so I really quickly learned like what I was comfortable answering and what I was, was it what I was not comfortable? Um, So boundaries were like, I reframed it all. You know, I Mm. just learned it all over again. You know, what what I felt like I needed to be honest about and what I felt like I could say, like, Oh, I'm actually not comfortable having this conversation. Yeah. That's all I had to say. Um, mm-hmm. it makes other people really uncomfortable when they, hear that. <laughs> they feel like they should have, you know, um, access to you at all times. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I did a lot of boundary work and it's, I mean, as you know, it just seeps into every part of my life. I'm mm-hmm. better at work boundaries. I'm better yes. at boundaries with my child, with, you know people when it doesn't come to drinking, I'm just really clear about where I want to be and where I don't, yeah, and it's just that trust in myself, which i I felt like I was working on, but every time I was drinking, I was just like you know destroying that bond you know internally, and so now i just I just really trust myself, I have everything mm. that I need, you know, I just have everything that I need already um I say that to my friends a lot and yeah, I think my own personal boundary with myself is really clear. So it doesn't really matter if it's not clear for for someone else.
0: Right. Well, and it doesn't really matter how much you were drinking. My, it my answer to that, well, I spill my guts on the internet. So I tell people I drink one to two bottles of wine every night, which was true. But also, like, if I feel like too. that... me too. And I'll, yeah. and i would, you know, And
1: I would share that with you and i share that with your listeners. I feel like this is a, safe, yeah. a safer space. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. Please continue. Sorry. But
0: when people ask that in, like you said, that voyeuristic way, that way of like, well, yeah. let me check my own drinking with the person mm-hmm. who has a quote unquote problem. Mm-hmm. My answer to that is I was drinking enough that it was harming myself and I couldn't trust myself and it was creating a problem in my life. Like That's all you need to know because Mm -hmm. I think that that's also an important benchmark for people. If we're talking about benchmarks, if we're talking about what is and isn't a drinking problem, I think it's really easy to talk ourselves out of having a drinking problem because we can find a stat somewhere on the internet that says Mm -hmm. our drinking is healthy. There are all sorts of Quote unquote studies, there are blog articles, like you can find confirmation of whatever outcome you desire specifically with drinking. Totally. And you can find a meme or a reel or a TikTok thing that says your drinking's fine, but you know, I think mm-hmm. that's the thing. Like when I say, like, I was drinking enough that it was harming myself and I couldn't trust myself and it didn't feel good, like you know, you know, yeah. if it feels good or if it doesn't feel good. And Absolutely. I think that that's a much more powerful benchmark than. If you meet some sort of standard for alcohol use disorder or for some sort of diagnosis, because there are people out there who are drinking a glass of wine a night and that is enough to harm their spirit. That is enough to.
1: That's such a good point.
0: Yeah, yeah, to, to, to be quote unquote a problem because of the impact of it, because of the way it's making them feel physically, because of the way it's making them feel mentally, because of the repercussion that's happening in their house. Like whatever mm-hmm. it is, you don't need to align with my one to two bottles of wine to say, oh, that's a problem or I'm okay until I reach that. I want you to know, like, if you're just drinking a little bit, quote unquote, moderately, quote unquote, and you're still feeling like it's not working for you, that's yeah. the only benchmark you need.
1: Completely. And and that's what I, you know, I can get on a little bit of a tangent and I'm sure everybody in early ready to understand where you're like, I mean, this is just ethanol, right? Like this is just poison. Um, and you can get like a little annoying, but ultimately like my goal isn't for everyone to everywhere to stop drinking forever. It is to get in touch with exactly what you were saying. Like, how does this feel? One glass, yeah. eight glasses, whatever it may be. Does this feel good? Does it feel good? When you get up, does it feel good the next day? Does it feel good, you know, when you've shot your day because you're just kind of lethargic? Like what feels good? And if you are more mm. aware, and also if we just create more sober spaces, which I think is yeah. incredibly important, of uh, where it's not a default, you can get in touch with that a little bit better. And you can be really clear yeah. on. And sometimes I think we can choose things that don't feel good knowing what we know. So it's not, mm-hmm. you know, an all or nothing mentality for me. That's the choice I have made with my life at this point, but that isn't necessarily what I'm recommending to everyone. It's just getting that awareness so that when you are making those choices, whatever they may be, you're doing it with as much information as possible.
2: Hmm. Hi y'all, Callie here with the Sober Stories team. All right. If you're anything like me, you've been feeling the heaviness of what it is to be human these days, which is why I've turned to better help. I've been using their platform for a few months now, and I can honestly say that my life has improved so much not only can you chat with your therapist whenever it's most convenient for you, but I'm a huge fan of their online journal, which allows me to share my entries with my therapist if I want. And as somebody who has been able to express myself through writing the easiest, it has been a true game changer when it comes to actually sitting down in a therapy session with my therapist and getting to the nitty gritty of it. She gets to see where I am before we even meet, and that has just truly elevated therapy. And that's why we are happy to be sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a digital platform that offers licensed therapists trained to listen and help you. BetterHelp has a network of over 20,000 therapists with a broad range of expertise, giving you online convenient access to support. It's easy, you fill out a questionnaire describing your specific needs, and you'll be bashed with a therapist in less than 48 hours, which is wicked fast when it comes to therapy. In addition to your secure video or phone therapy sessions, you can exchange unlimited messages with your therapist between meetings as well. No overwhelm, no barriers to entry, just help when you need it. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash That's betterhelp.com help, slash sober stories. Thanks y'all.
0: If you've been hanging out with sober stories for a while, you know all about QuitLit, the genre of literature covering the diverse experience of quitting drinking. In fact, we've had some amazing authors on the podcast, like Ruby Warrington of Sober Curious and Amanda E. White of Not Drinking Tonight. Since I know you already enjoy plugging into your sober space via your headphones, we've got the perfect partner for you. It's time to check out Audible. Audible is the leading creator and provider of premium audio storytelling, enriching the lives of millions of listeners every day. Books on Tape have gotten a serious upgrade with over 200,000 podcasts, audiobooks, guided wellness, and Audible originals available. You can tune into your latest quitlet read on your next hot girl walk or school pickup line. Get a free 30-day trial, including one credit or two for Prime members, good for any premium selection by visiting audibletrial.com slash sober stories. That's audibletrial.com slash sober stories. Well, and when you talk about the glass of wine that you had two years in, I think what what we get when we try it again, and I don't think that's everyone's path, I don't think it's a requirement, but if we do try it again after a period of abstinence, one of the things that we have built is a physiological distance from alcohol. Mm. Like the way our body interacts with it, the way our body is used to running at baseline, Mm -hmm. the way our brain has reformed and the way our prefrontal cortex is actually working like it's supposed to. And and we're living in our decision-making and in our values. So I hear that happening where people will say like, I had a year, I had two years, I had three years. I tried it again and I was like, oh, absolutely not. And mm-hmm. then I could stop again after that. So when you had that glass of wine, like what were some of the thoughts that you you, you mentioned about how it works fast and then it works slow? Yeah. What yeah. was that like for you?
1: I mean, like there's an immediate calm, right? Um, and my, like I said, my anxiety was really at a breaking point. Um, and I, I will say just like a little bit of a side tangent. In hindsight, I tried every tool I had except Connection. So I didn't Mm. call on a couple of people I probably should have called on. Um, And a part of it is like, not embarrassment, but like, I'm two years in, I should have this. I shouldn't need Mm -hmm. to call, you know, and I think that that can be really harmful. So one takeaway I really hope from this conversation is there is no finish line for doing this on your own. Like the connection is such an important integral part of it. Um, And I didn't call anyone. I didn't lean Mm. on anyone in that moment of just... You know, crippling anxiety. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't reach for that connection. Um, So I did have this immediate sense of relief, but it was really quick. And I think you're right. I think our bodies just are like, whoa, what's this thing that we haven't Mm -hmm. had for a while? And so I immediately started like sweaty, like I got sweaty and clammy and my stomach started to hurt. I had a lot of like heartburn and indigestion when I was drinking that Mm -hmm. ultimately just like went away pretty much day one. Go figure, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and that came immediately back, where I was like, "This is like, it's just, it just made it so clear, right?" Of like, oh, all that stuff that I wasn't in tune with before, and I kind of mm-hmm. push past and drink through, and um, I wasn't feeling great, or like my, you know, my stomach would hurt, or I would have acid reflux, and I would just be like, "Oh, maybe it was the pizza I ate, or something like that." Like, <laughs> it was very clear in that moment, you know, no, everything that you're feeling, you can you can tie it to this one glass that you had, mm-hmm. and so how crazy is that, that I could feel such a difference after mm-hmm. such a s- small amount. And it felt, I switched to water, which I also felt like I don't even really know where the strength is coming from other than yeah. the two years that I've put in. Um, because you're right, that it mentality of like, okay, mm-hmm. just bring it all on. I kind of was bracing for that of just mm. sort of eat, let, you know, lighting a match kind of thing. Mm. Um, and I didn't, um, and I will say, you know, I have a 13 year old and it was a lot easier to drink when he was three. Um, Mm, Being really aware of how he is seeing me. And he is actually, um, and I don't want to talk too much about him because, you know, obviously this is- Boundaries. um, Yeah, exactly. But um, he has been one of my biggest supporters and biggest Mm -hmm. cheerleaders. And not in a, just in like a really organic way. I think kids are just miraculous in that way of just like, oh, you're happier this way. I support Mm -hmm. you. And not even having the language for it. But I, he was there, he was around. And I just- I think I just was like, this is – he's not seen this in two years. It's not mm-hmm. who I want him to see right now.
0: So you talked about switching to water, and I think, like – that's amazing. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> I
2: did
0: not <laughs> switch to water when I had my first drink after 550 days. Um, For the record, I did not switch to water. I said, fuck it, for about three weeks. Yeah. But one of the things that you and I talked about before this was, like, how you – are kind to yourself and being compassionate to yourself and having that gentle self-talk. So what was that like in the, like, the immediate aftermath for you? How did you avoid the fuck it button? Gosh.
1: I mean, I started, like I mentioned earlier, I started working on that like inner self-talk um, about three years before I stopped drinking. And it kind of just felt like I was working on borrowed time with this mm. one thing that I was still holding, but it was just a like, let's just try not talking badly to yourself. Mm. And then it sort of organically moved into not allowing other people to speak a certain way about themselves Mm -hmm. in front of me, certainly not allowing them to speak about other people, um, especially in terms of their bodies or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, any of that. It just was a slow gradual, like I just got a couple of sort of mantras and I just repeated Mm -hmm. it a lot. I just, you know, said, a lot of the things to myself that I say to the people that I love most, mm. it, was a pr- it was a practice. It was not easy. it was work. Um, mm, I talk mm. about this a lot on my own Instagram of just like happiness feels very hard for me. Like I've worked mm. really hard to be happy. So when I'm like, you know excited and, and we'll share all that, it is not an, it's not a default setting for me. It mm. is absolutely a practice, and it's taken years and so much work um, to get there. So I revel in this joy or whatever it may Mm -hmm. be, because I know how hard fought it is. So in that moment, I think, I think I started to just say like, this does not define you. This does not change, you know, all of the work you've put in, you can put this down. If this doesn't feel like it, just all of these things that I feel like I would say to you or to, or to another Mm -hmm. dear friend, um, I just literally say them out loud to myself, um, just mm. hearing it. Yeah, it, and I went to bed really early that night. So I just <laughs> thought, I'm just going to wake up the next day. And I did sit down the next day and think like, what does this mean? And I did talk to some friends right away and they were really supportive. But I also then just looked forward you know, and I think that yeah. that's the big thing. There's, you know, shame is what keeps us all silent, you know, on a lot of different things for so long. And I refuse to operate from a place of shame anymore. Mm-hmm. I just, it's just not something that can seep in and I bat it away as quickly as I can. Um, no one makes positive change through shame. No one has positive relationships or positive connections by being shamed into them. Yeah. So I just, I, I, I did decide pretty quickly, like, this does not mean a new day one. This is just a bump, you know. This is just part of the journey, Mm -hmm. Um, and having really smart, incredible people around, I think that contributes to it. I mean, I think when what you take in externally or from your from yourself just affects us. So I wasn't. I just don't surround myself with people anymore who would have been hard on me in that moment, or would have been Mm. mean to me in that moment, or would have loved me less, or liked me less, or respected me less. So I just have a different community than I did Mm. two years ago.
0: You know, I think that that thought of like, what would you say to me? Or what would you say mm-hmm. to your best friend? I I try to use that because I, I have a brain that especially when I was drinking, it was very critical of myself was very quick to say like, you're such a fuck up. Mm-hmm. And when that's the default setting of our brain, which often is the case when we are in addiction or like drinking more than we should. And the neurochemistry in our brain has changed. It's really easy for that to be our default. And so I I encourage people to say like, well, what would you say to your best friend? What Mm -hmm. would you say to your sister who did this? You would be kind to her. You would be compassionate. You would say, it's okay. Let's let's pick ourselves up and move forward. And I think that that's a really powerful thought to hold and it takes practice. Like you said, it takes practice because you first have to notice. You first have to notice the thought. Yeah. You first have to notice the default reaction. And for me, like I said, it was always like I could spill a gallon of milk on the floor and say, God, why am I such a fuck up? Like that was just my default reaction. And And I wouldn't, it was so insidious. Like it was something harmless. Like some, I mean, I guess a gallon of milk is really messy. No, I
1: know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Something incredibly harmless. And that was my default thought. but. I was so in it for so long that I couldn't even recognize the thought first. Mm-hmm. And so it's this process of like crawling our way back to ourselves and understanding like the way our brain talks, maybe not the truth. And, right. we, <laughs> in, oh, and it's in also my, formed
1: by trauma and it's formed right. by a child. I mean, it's formed by so right. many things, you know, right. when you get to that moment of like negative self-talk. Yeah. Your brain is just operating from, you know, all of these other experiences. Rote you know, memory. Reality.
0: Yeah. And yeah. if we think about – the the neural pathways in our brain, like those get so formed and so strong. And those thought patterns of, man, I am such a fuck up, like that becomes very strong and very usable. And so we have to understand that it takes time to change that. I love what you said about mantras, about affirmations. Before I could ever be kind to myself, before I could ever have that be my default Thought. I read Jen Sincero's book, You Are a Badass. It's back there mm-hmm. somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the mantra I took from her book was, I'm just a little bunny trying to figure it all out. <laughs> so instead no. of saying, I drop the, the gallon of milk and say, I'm such a fuck up, I would just like force myself to say, I'm just a little bunny and I'm <laughs> just trying to figure it all out. And that was a gateway into starting yeah. to understand that it's okay. It's okay if I dropped a gallon of milk. It's not the end of the world. It's no one's gonna think I'm a bad person for doing that. And crawling out of that but I had to use it, utilize a tool. Yeah. I had yeah, to utilize a tool a because it wasn't default. It wasn't intrinsic for me to say, "Oh, I'm just a little bunny trying to figure it all out." It is now, mm-hmm. but it wasn't then. So I had to utilize something very intentionally. Mm-hmm. Like I had sticky notes all over my house of like I'm just a little bunny trying to figure it all out. I like and I think that that's a really powerful thing. I think if used correctly, affirmations right. and mantras can be really useful
1: completely and i'm sure you you've heard of this example but i i do really like the visualizations i've worked mm-hmm. a lot on those and just having like a picture of yourself at like yeah. 5 or 6 years old mm-hmm. and like i'm taking care of her right now um yes. and i wouldn't speak to her that way Mm-mm. and that visualization has been really helpful for me yeah um i was a people pleaser i'm sure you
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you can relate mm-hmm. um and i just wanted everyone to like me and everyone to mm-hmm. be happy for most of my life it has it has been the greatest work of my life to Mm. untangle that from who I am today. That if Mm. you do not like me or do not understand me or do not get me or think I'm whatever, that is none of my business. And I- and I do not operate from a place of letting it, letting it guide me. There are a couple people whose opinions really matter. You know, it's like yeah. Renee Brown says, like, get real clear on who's like in the arena with you. And so, yeah, I, I listen to them. Absolutely. But it's like one hand. I can count, you know, those hmm. people.
0: Yeah. How did you do that? Like, I mean, we could have a whole other podcast episode <laughs> on that. But like, I think that that's so powerful. And I think especially in sobriety to be able to say, like, I don't, I don't care what you think about me.
1: I think there's two big things. One, find those women and, and listen to them. You know, the women that are, that are, have put that work in already and are yeah being guided by, you know, a different force and just watch them and learn from them and mm. be curious, ask questions of them. And then therapy, <laughs> <Just so cool. laughs> it's a really good. Yeah. therapist. I had a great, I mean, I had a great therapist too. I probably will She's still in Texas, so I have to find a new one up in Colorado. Oh, no. But, um, I know. Vi- video therapy is just not, it's just not exactly my jam. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. I credit her through those first few months. I remember driving to my therapy appointment. It was about two weeks after I stopped drinking. And I remember thinking, are you going to tell her? This is hmm. the test. You tell her you can't go back. Yeah. It's the first time you're going to say it out loud. This is, will you say it? And I was going back and forth. There was a lot of other stuff I could talk about. <laughs> talk about we were in a pandemic, you know, it was, um, there was a lot of other content. Uh, and I sat down and I just let it, I let it all go. And I'd been seeing her for over a year. And she said, Mm. that's why you're here. She said, it takes about a year to really figure out why you're here. And now Mm. we know. And she was wonderful. She was so wonderful. And so just, I am not a tough love person. I think some people are, I got really clear too, (laughs) sobriety Mm -hmm. and I needed to be tough with me. Um, I was tough with myself for far yeah. too long. I, the gentle sort of loving approach and she was, she was honest, but gentle. And I think that was the difference, mm-hmm. you know, she wasn't sort of blowing smoke or, you know, she was really gentle, but, and, you know, a lot of boundary work with, with her. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, a it was just a ton of, a ton of therapy, but I also think like reading, podcasts, you know, just like listening to other women's experience Mm. and listening to the right people. You know, those two Mm. things combined, I think were what got me a lot closer to where who I want to be. And it's just, it's an evolution, you know, it just, it's not linear. It ebbs and flows, you know, in that moment where I had that drink in June, it was such a low point. Every toxic thought was, was coming at me. It was just every tool I'd worked so hard to Mm. get was, Um, I felt unusable in that moment. So, you know, I think knowing it's also not linear, um, Mm -hmm. but as you have said so beautifully so many times, it does not mean you start from square one. We're starting, you know, from a different place with all Mm -hmm. that you have learned from a new foundation that helped a lot. I heard those words in my ear Mm -hmm. whenever I was going to bed early that night and thinking all these things to myself. I heard that, you know, that this is not, this is not day Mm -hmm. one. This is just, this is just another moment in your, in your process.
0: Hmm. I'm glad you could hear those words. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, I I tell people all the time, I'm like, if you can stop caring what people think, like that is gonna be one of the most powerful tools in your tool belt for sobriety. And it takes it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of practice. But if that can be a target for you of of really just not caring what people think it can be really useful in your journey. And, and, you know, I've had my own experiences of, of that really pretty intensely this year. And mm-hmm. one of the, the mantras that I had to take on was I am not responsible for the version of myself that somebody else has created in their mind.
1: God, it's so true. That's, that's their fault.
0: That's their yeah. responsibility. That's, and if you, that's and them if you
1: are responsible for it. It will be your, your full-time job. Yeah, changing totally. their mind, changing their perception, totally. like bending yourself into whatever shape you think mm-hmm. will finally make them like you or be proud of you. I mean, I had to get really clear with that with family, just as we talked about earlier, that I still wanted yeah. in my life, still wanted a relationship with, but how do I set that boundary so that their opinions of me don't mm. keep me up at night or yeah. don't, you know, don't, don't shake me. Um, and it is, yeah, if you can figure it out. And like I said, I think it is really just sort of lifelong work. I don't think you reach Mm -hmm. a finish line. Right. Um, Setbacks just happen, especially as we are exhausted or dealing with anxiety and, and stress and overwhelm and things like that. You know, we can really default those sort of toxic behaviors much easier, but it will It also just frees up so much time. The mental gymnastics so of when we're drinking, we talk about this a lot of like, yeah. oh, I don't have to think about like, when can I order the second and when can I order the third? Mm-hmm. The mental gymnastics of not worrying about what other people think of me. Mm. I had somebody ask me like what they should wear somewhere, and I was like, I haven't thought about that in forever. Yeah. Like, ask someone want. else because <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> if I'm underdressed, if I'm overdressed, if I'm perfectly dressed, I just don't care.
0: Yeah. Because I, I, yeah. I
1: just, I now get dressed for me, I don't get dressed for anyone else. So.
2: Mm.
0: Well, and like you said, it frees up so much energy. Yeah. Like I think that that is one of the things that I want people to take away is like when you stop caring, then you get to live your life for yourself. Like you said, you yeah. dress for yourself. You don't drink for yourself. You get to do it for yourself. Yeah. So I know June was the bump. Yeah. And that it felt really hard to use your tools then. How have you come out of that?
1: Uh, you know, it hasn't been perfect or even easy. You know, I think there's been a lot of just – um this has been a really tough year Um, Mm. We moved, which was incredibly hard. We moved not for work. We moved just because we wanted to move. We left everyone. We know all family. We know no one here in Colorado. This was really just a move to follow a dream and dreams are incredible, but they are not all rosy and Instagram highlight reels. You know, they can be incredibly lonely and painful as you are trying to make them come true. Um, Um, And that's, that was our experience, you know, trying to sell our house, trying to find a place here in this market. I got covid in the middle of that Ugh. and had a pretty terrible case. My husband had a couple of back pr- it was just like one thing after the other. Mm. Um, I had emergency root canal that it was just like Ugh. right in the middle of all of this. It was just that's one of just those rude. summers. <laughs> it's just rude. <laughs> yes, thank you. Just one of those summers that felt like it was just a beating at every turn. I think what that did in June was was made it very clear that that's just not the door. You know that mm. there You can try a million others, but that's just Mm. not the door that you're going to open. And so that's, it hasn't, you know, nothing is perfect. And so I think one of the things that I probably did was get a little too cocky or comfortable with like, (laughs) I'm cured kind of thing, right? Like I just, there's no, you know, uh, no temptation will get to me. And I think it was, it's nice to feel human of like, Mm -hmm. oh, no, no, you know, you really have to care for yourself continuously. But Mm. I think going back to that community or connection aspect, one of the reasons why we moved and one of the greatest goals of my life is to build a community that actually feels supportive, Mm. comforting, loving, fun, you know, all of those things that I felt like we were missing in our town in Texas. I'm building that here. Mm. And it is... It's. I think it will end up being the greatest work of my life in addition to no longer drinking. I think building a community as an adult when you're not mm. defaulting, it's not like parents of, you know, your yep. kids, friends, it's not your family, it's not your coworkers, you know, it's not your college friends, mm-hmm. it's your own community that you're building. Um, it stretches every muscle you have. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just, and it's, I think it will probably be the best thing that I've ever done, mm. but that, that stuff is hard. The best thing we've ever done, it's often not very easy. It's often yeah. incredibly hard. So, right.
0: Especially when you're in it, you're in the foundations of building that and mm-hmm. of making that connection. I saw uh, Mike talking to the onion guy. <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> farmers love that? I love that. <laughs> you know, I mean, there is so much meat to this, Jenny, and I knew there would be with you. I knew that you would give us so much insight and so much wisdom. But I mean, I I would love to know just your takeaway, like for somebody who's listening to this and maybe is in it and they're in those early days or they haven't made the decision or they're struggling with quitting, what's your takeaway? That's a good question.
1: Um, There are so many. Um, I think you are not alone, which feels Mm. you know definitely heard before. But I think one of the things that has been a miracle for me is every time I talk about it, whether it's sharing a mocktail, whether it's just sharing an article, I get so many women um I know you understand who just say, yeah, not this for me too. Mm -hmm. Um or I'm starting to think about this, or I'm just doing like a sober October, or I'm just changing up and having, you know, sparkling water during the week. Like it's just these small little movements. And I think that's how the world has changed. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the another big takeaway is just what we expect of women, what we Mm -hmm. expect Mm -hmm. them to do. Um, we expect them to be superheroes. We expect them to be PTA presidents and and full-time jobs and be incredibly overwhelmed and have no coping skills um, or, you know, anything to sort of help guide and navigate those things. You do not have to be a superhero when it's Mm -hmm. being asked of you. It's wrong. It's misogyny. It's it's all sorts of things. And then I just think, you know, that connection of finding the people to really share life with, you know, whether that's you know, I think we have, especially in America, just this like nuclear family and, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have huge communities that we're building. And I think that that's part of the reason why so many of us are just struggling. Um, and then you add a pandemic on top of that where yeah. you're not allowed to connect. I think we're all at a, at a burnt out breaking point. And I mm. think it starts with who is making you feel loved and who is making you feel seen. Um, who are you spending your time with? Who are you listening to? you know, who are you pouring into who is pouring back into you and just getting really clear about when you were drinking to a level that feels problematic, that community just crumbles naturally, because mm. you do have to start just sort of like lying. And, mm-hmm. you know, doing stuff in secret and doing stuff alone. You know, I drink alone a lot. withdrawing, yeah, and your community starts to crumble. And so I think my biggest takeaway is that the life that I wanted, which I think is centered on a community of relationships that I want to build with people, just could never exist at the same time mm. that wine was existing in my life.
0: That's mm. so powerful. I mean, I think that that's, that's it. The life that I wanted couldn't exist with alcohol in the mix. Yeah. I just, I don't know that I even knew what I wanted, but I mm-hmm. knew that it wasn't oh, this. Same. Same. I, I, I mean, knew it wasn't the way I was
1: feeling. That not this. Yeah. That just felt like, like every nerve in my body um, lit up when I read that. I was like, I, yeah, I don't know what I'm looking for. And I didn't in 2020. I feel like I'm mm-hmm. a lot clearer on that. But I just, I know, I, I know I can't get there. Can't mm-hmm. get there. still holding this thing. was the last thing I had to put down. And doesn't mean life is going to be easy. I think that's another takeaway. It's not like the yeah. next day is perfect. Every problem is solved. <laughs> it's a lot of work. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice? But everything that you want is on the other side. Mm. Even if it's work to get there.
0: Yes. All of that. So good. All right, my friend. Last question for you today. Okay. If your story were to be written into a book, and I know you're a book lady. You're a book I publisher. A book lady. I am a book lady. What would it be titled and what kind of story would it be?
1: <sighs> um, I think that it would be titled, She Was Scared But She Did It Anyway. Mm. And I think, yeah, we are I think told incorrectly that we have to be great or we have to be confident, or we have to be sure in order to embark on whatever it is we want, whether it's mm. starting a business or starting a relationship or moving or whatever it may be that we have to feel really sure.
2: Mm. And
1: my, my whole thing is I'm scared a lot, <laughs> um, yeah. but it does not stop me from living the life.
0: Totally. I yeah. Do it scared. I do it scared it all the time. Yeah, all the time.
1: Yeah, don't let it stop you. So I'm a six, I'm an Enneagram six. We worry (laughs) a lot, but our superpower is that we don't let it stop.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah. That is the superpower of a six that I, I forget you're a six all the time. It makes <laughs> so much sense,
1: my friend. I know. Six wing <laughs> seven. I can have fun. <laughs> okay. You can have
0: fun. You're like, I know. Every time I tell people what my Enneagram is, I'm like, but I have to qualify. Like, yeah. I, as soon as I found out what I was on the Enneagram, I'm a three wing two. I was yep. like, oh my God, I'm the worst that. one. I'm the no, worst one. No, 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 That's what <laughs> somebody
1: told
0: me. To you. <laughs> somebody told me. They were like, if you think that you're the worst one, then that means the test, rate, <laughs> The exactly. test is like way too accurate. <laughs> my friend this has just been wonderful I have like I, I mark little clips for like reminding myself later when I want to pull stuff and I've marked oh, so many that. clips on your oh, episode I love that. well thank you for
1: having me you're a
0: dream. I just really admire you and the vulnerability that you bring to the plate and the wisdom that you share with all of us while also saying like I'm still figuring it out along the mm-hmm. way and thank I just you. appreciate your time thank you so much for thank joining you. us
1: thank you so good to see you we'll have that coffee soon
0: thank you so much for listening to sober stories with me beth bone and our guest jenny canzoneri i told you she'd be a good one to go out with didn't i we are signing off for the year Sober Stories is taking a breather to enjoy the rest of 2022, and we hope to see you in 2023. As we wrap up this very first season of Sober Stories, I need to give our whole team the biggest thank you. The podcasts you listen to every week take a whole lot of woman, <laughs> I almost said manpower, but woman power to produce. And I gotta say, the Sober Stories team is the best of the best callie williams our community and ops lead alexis archuleta our podcast engineer and manager and all of the past people who have touched sober stories our summer intern sherry chang our brand designer Danielle marty our web designer rochelle Demaskoff, and the 86th and trend team thank you you brought this vision to life and kept it running this year and to you dear listener thank you the most i hope these stories touched you in some way made you feel a little less alone There's power in our stories, in your story. And when we're able to connect with one another through our similarities, we're all a little better off. Thank you for tuning in each week, for sharing our stories with your own community and for loving sober stories as much as we do. Until next time, my friends.